The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. It's really important for us to understand that when we read Scripture, and especially through the next few weeks as we're looking through Jonah, is we really need to ask ourselves, what does God want to teach me? Because if the Scriptures, in my understanding, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, everything that God said is trying to get us to a place to understand who He is, what He wants, what He doesn't want, to guide us in a place that blessing flows and follows in our life. So we need to say... What does God want to teach me, his child, through this accounting of Jonah? Because Jonah is his prophet, he's God's spokesman, but Jonah is his child. And I think that that's something that we need to just kind of keep in front of us as we go. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So right off the bat, there is this clear and distinct command of God to Jonah. And on Friday when we was talking about it, Aaron Romano brought up the fact, he goes, hey, we need to understand something. This is not Jonah's first assignment, right? So Jonah wasn't, there was nothing fuzzy here about what God was saying to Jonah. He had heard his voice before. He, the, he had, God had assigned him at various times. We read in 2 Kings about it, but as God's prophet, there was probably a lot of things that were going on that God was speaking to Jonah about. And so he knew what God wanted him to do. You need to just go right now, arise. It was almost like right now, get up, go to Nineveh. And it says that Nineveh to that great city, which could have the idea of number or importance. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go there and I want you to preach against it. And here's why I want you to preach against it. Because their wickedness has come up before me. And I I paused at that uh, for a moment because one of the translations that I went through uh, in, I don't know if it's an ESV or ESV maybe, uh, informed them that their wickedness has become known to me. And immediately I began to think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember in Genesis 18 that um, uh, God comes to uh, Abraham and he's speaking to Abraham about his promise, and then he starts talking to uh, about what is going to happen about Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says there that the Lord said, the outcry, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I'm going to go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. And I got to pondering that a little bit. And it it seems to me that with Sodom and Gomorrah, people were petitioning God about their wickedness. 
and, and probably how their wickedness was affecting them and their lives. And the same here, so Nineveh, there's a, it seems to be that people are petitioning God about Nineveh. So, Nineveh has God's attention. But really, not in a good way. So, we've been talking about this on Friday, and I asked Doug if he'd do this. Uh, because really, when we read through the Scripture, we don't see a lot. But I asked Doug if he would just uh, share a, a little bit about Nineveh. So we can, because what we need to do is we need to get context as to the time that Jonah lived and what was going on so that we can maybe understand a little bit better about Jonah. So Israel um, would know of Nineveh for a long time. So the, the Ninevites have been for many, many years and generations raiding the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and taking their people. And the Assyrians... Um, are very ruthless, to say the least, right? So that, that if you read the text in Nahum, um, it talks about, it, which is interesting because everybody, when they think of Nineveh, thinks of the story of Jonah, but Nahum talks for three chapters about the Ninevites and Nineveh. The text of Nahum provides additional clues regarding God's anger with the Ninevites. Nahum 3.1 says, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Hmm. Never without victims. Right? So there's always something happening in, in Nineveh that is cruel. Right? You think about the big city, right, is what people would refer that to. Nineveh was a city of violence, known for its brutal treatment of those it conquered. The Assyrians were notorious for amputating hands and feet, gouging eyes, and skinning and impaling their captives. Nice group of people. How'd you like to go there and tell them to repent? Anyway, um, the final verse of uh, Nahum's book emphasizes the violence of the Assyrians in the form of the rhetorical question that says, who has not felt your endless cruelty? Meaning everybody has experienced the cruelty of Nineveh in some way. The people that live there, the people around them, the people who've heard about it, right? Um, <clears throat> outside of the Bible, this is, I found very interesting. Um, Nineveh was known for having a great lawless and ruined city. Greek literary giants, Herodotus and Aristotle, catalog its sinfulness. Describing, yeah, the king, Saren, yeah, whatever, Paulus, Serendipolis, its legendary king, in unflattering and problematic terms. Diodorus of Sicily, who's a writer in the first century BC, describes the king's violations of rigid gender boundaries. According to the legend, his subjects rebelled against his taboo behaviors, whereupon the king piled his wealth onto a mountain, climbed on top of it with his eunuchs and concubines, and torched the whole thing into a ball of fire. Um, even in the much later, 1589, there's a play written in London. It's called The Looking Glass for London and England. So these writers saw what was happening in their own society and wrote a play. Um, it retells the book of Jonah with a description of Nineveh's sinfulness, 
complete with evil kings, usurers, demons, murderers, and forced incest. So Nineveh was um, not only known for its evil, but it was also known for its, it, it is a great city. It was probably the, the greatest city for a 50-year span. Um, it is relative to what New York was, what London was, you know, pick, pick a city. Um, where it sits physically, um, if you're in your mind, yeah, where it sits is Mosul. If you know where Mosul is, um, if you go up the Tigris, okay, you come from the Persian Gulf. It splits into two rivers. Everybody knows what those are, Tigris or Euphrates. Come up the Tigris River, you get almost directly 90 degrees from the Mediterranean Sea and come across, and that's where Mosul is. And on the other side of the river is Nineveh. And today it's still called, the. there's providences in that whole area called the Nineveh Providence, okay? Um, so it was a direct connection between um, the Indian Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea. So think about the, you know, people just come up, so commerce forever, right? So money, 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 um, and, then, and then became evil. Um, it became one of the greatest cities of all regions and ancient cities. It was the last capital of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Today, Nineveh is located, um, you know, when you talk about archaeology, and, and this is interesting, we talk about Mosul. Um, today, Nineveh's location is marked by two large mounds or tells. Anybody know what a tell is from an archaeological perspective? Right. It's, and it, what is that? Right, right. You've seen it in Indiana Jones movies, right? Oh, it must be right there because there's like a big bound and it's built up. Okay. Today, Nineveh is located in marked by two large mounds, and they're called Tel Kuyunjik and Tel Nabi Yunus. The second one is the Tel that is the temple to the prophet Jonah. Right? So think about this. That this is a reality in this part of the world that this is where Jonah came. This is where Jonah was, right? And, and it's been there for thousands of years, right? They can actually, they've actually gone down in the temple. So interestingly enough, um, you know, we talk about different religions, and I was talking about this this morning with Tracy, that the Lord put on my heart, is that, you know, you look at Islam, and Islam, right, false religion, a little bit of truth, and a little bit of lie, or maybe a lot of lie, a little bit of truth, however you want to look at that. But they've done things like, right, they take Abraham, right, and put it into their religion. They take, because they know they have to have that truth to have believers, right, to entice people to they did the same thing with Jonah, right? He's now in our part of the our part of the world, Assyria, right? Which is not Israel, right? Which is not God's chosen people, not one of the tribes. So we're just going to adopt him as a prophet of ours, who came and gave the words of Allah, and we, you know, repented. Interestingly enough. Um, on July 24th, 2014, 
the Islamic State, ISIS, of Iraq, <clears throat> destroyed the shrine as part of a campaign to destroy religious sanctuaries it deemed un-Islamic. Right? So, okay, this lie is played out. We've already, you know, we've used the Jonah thing as one of our own prophets of Allah. Well, now, you know, we know the truth. It's not. So we're just going to destroy it because it's un-Islamic, which is an interesting thing. And, and finally, you know, I, want, I, I wanted to start in the Old Testament. You know, we started in Genesis, and then we get into the New Testament where Jesus mentions um, the Ninevites. So Jesus mentioned the Ninevites and their repentance, contrasting that response to the unbelief of who? The Pharisees and the teachers, right? Of the law. That's in Matthew 12, 39 to 41. Rejecting Christ has no excuse. The people of Nineveh, this is our Lord speaking, will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now, someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. So think about that. You know, Nineveh responded to the messenger of God. This generation with Jesus there are not responding to God himself. He's bringing his own message, right? He didn't send the Amazon driver to deliver something. He brought it himself. Being far greater than the prophet Jonah, Jesus had shown himself to be the Messiah, but the Jewish people still refused to believe him and repent of their sins. Again, that's Matthew 12, 22 to 24. The Ninevites had responded to God's message delivered by a lesser man, Jonah. And here was God's message delivered by the Son of God himself. And the reason I wanted to end there is just so that we can put into perspective what the story of Jonah means to us. It, it's a great story. Um, you know, it, it, we're going to go through this and it's going to be a lot of fun. But what is the application to us, right? Jesus is coming and telling us, right? What's the application? He's telling us to repent, mm -hmm. right? And then he's going to send all of us to go, go and share the gospel, Right? Not like Jonah so much, but receive the message like the Ninevites did. Mm. And know that I am God. I think the, the verse in Nahum, uh, I don't remember what translation I got this out of. But in Nahum 3.19 it says that it was a city of unceasing evil unceasing evil. So Jonah 1, 1 and 2 again. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it because his evil has come before me. And then verse 3, we know it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Uh, you got that slide, Larry? Can you put that up? Now, I can tell you right now, this is, uh, you can look at this, and this is a firm determination of Jonah not to go to Nineveh. It's definitely a statement. Because Nineveh is 550 miles from where, near where Jonah is, and Tarshish is 2,500 miles away. 
I mean, get that. He's going, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is up here. It's, it's to the right. And Jonah's going, no. And, and it's not like, okay, it's not like he's going, I don't even know. I don't even know what these nations are here. This is Egypt. So he's not, he's, not, it's, he's not like saying, I'm just going to jump over to Egypt. And I'm not sure what's, what's next to Egypt. I mean, he's really, he's getting as far away as he can possibly get from where God is wanting him to go. You know, it's, God's going, hey, here's where I want you to go. And he's going, no, nope, that's not happening. So let's have some conversation here. So we've heard some context uh, that Doug gave, and you might have read this story and know a little bit more, but why did Jonah run from God's command? Got some input? Here, I'm going to use a speaker. Uh, I want to get this. Is that on? Thanks. All right. Uh, here, well, ladies first. He knew they were going to repent. Okay, he'll get it on. He knew they were going to repent, and he did not want them to because they had been so, so bad. Okay. All right. That was it? Now, see, you had to read further in the book to know that, right? Oh, that's my runner. Somebody else? <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that... Um, okay, so I read a little further in the book, I guess, but... It's interesting that um, in that time, the gods of other nations were limited in the minds of their of their own people, right? So, um, you know, you heard me tell this story when we were talking the other day. I'd fly out of the Middle East, and all these guys in their garb, right, would be great Muslim guys getting on an airplane. They, we'd take off, and we hit 10,000 feet, and that thing would go ding, ding, Right? on the airplane, all of them would get up, go to the bathroom, come back with jeans and t-shirts on, and start ordering Jack Daniels. And I was like, wow. And they would look at me and go, Allah cannot see outside of Saudi Arabia. Right? That, that, and that's an actual belief that they had. Their, their gods were geographical. I just think it's interesting that, that, <laughs> that Jonah thinks he could run away, especially when he describes God the way he does when he's on the boat. Mm, that's good. Right? Yeah. The creator of the seas and the and I'm running away from him. Good luck. It's good. Somebody else got some thoughts? Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? David? It's, it's a bit of speculation. Okay, wait for the mic. Yeah. It's a bit of speculation, but with Nineveh being used as a hallmark or a marking point of, oh, this place was so bad, yet still turned around. That also means that it was the first time such a city of depravity had ever repented, so there was no uh, precedent for it repenting in the first place for Jonah. Okay. Somebody else? Go ahead, Levi. I mean, you have to... Ooh, that's loud. You have to think he probably was scared, at least to a certain degree. Okay. Like, when I was little, um, I remember reading this story, and I would watch the VeggieTales version. 
And <laughs> well, that's what would, we should have done this morning. That would right? be so much better. That would be great. VeggieTales. But they would, the little, like, little, I think they were like grapes or something, and they would slap each other with fish, and that scared me. Like, that was freaky. <laughs> and, like, in real life, it must have been infinitely worse. So he had to have been scared. Yeah, you think that they have raiding parties that were raiding the northern tribes of Israel from Assyria, from Nineveh. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, there's no way I want God to help that country. Or, like you said, maybe fear, so we can speculate a lot. The interesting thing is, is when you go through the story, you know, at this point, we don't know specifically why. You know, you get into the background of it, you can guess, and then some of you already brought up in chapter 4, he goes, yeah, there's no way I want to go there because you'll probably be merciful to him. And, you know, for Jonah as an Israelite, did you say something, Allie? Yeah. Go ahead. I think I've always gotten a self of like self-righteousness from Jonah. Um, maybe the sense that he knew the freedom that he had in Christ and the joy that he had in Christ, and he knew how evil those people were and didn't think that they deserved what he had. Oh, that's good. Or from God, I guess, not Christ. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. So again, we're not, it doesn't tell us specifically, so we can think about some things about it. And I'm sure it was all of it put together, that he was afraid that God would repent, that he felt they didn't deserve it. Uh, because of the wickedness, God judges wicked, evil people. That's just what needs to happen to them. Uh, you know, there's so much in the story. It's kind of like when you, re- when you watch the video series, The Chosen, there's a lot of backstory, and you think, huh, I wonder really. But you never know uh, how it could have, a lot of that could have affected Jonah personally. Knowing people that have gotten um, abused uh, from them, who knows? But we do know that Jonah ran from the Lord. He went to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the ferry, went and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now the thing that I think we need to understand here is that Jonah wasn't reluctant. It's not like Jonah was reluctant to go. Jonah was defiant. See now Moses, when God speaks to Moses... Moses is reluctant. You know, God speaks to him and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into Egypt, and I want you to deliver my people out of Egypt. And, and you know, Moses is going, whoa, uh, can we talk about this? Uh, you know, who am I? You know I, I, you know, I can't even speak, and what if they don't believe me? And there's this dialogue that's going on. And then you think about Gideon. Remember, he's in the wine press. He's down in a hole. Uh, uh, sifting wheat. The angel comes to him and says, mighty man of God, this is what I want you to do. I want you to rise and I want you to deliver my people. And he, and, and he says to them, he says to God, uh, hey, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and my family is the least of families. God speaks to Jeremiah, I think it's 1-6, I'm not for sure. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet to the nations. And he's going, Lord, I'm about a youth and I don't even know what to say. Then we pull into the New Testament. Remember when God speaks to Ananias and he says, I want you to go to Saul of Tarsus. I want you to go to Saul and I want you to pray for him. And, and, and 
Ananias is going, uh, yeah, just, just, can we pause for a second? Because, are you sure? Because remember this guy, he's like persecuting the church. See, at least these guys and many others, when God called them, they at least had this dialogue. They at least said, uh, Lord, um, I mean, I know that there's things that I felt the Lord say to me, and I'm going, yeah, get thee behind me, Satan. There's no way. I mean, I'm not attributing that voice to God. I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. But at least these guys had a conversation. And they, they even challenged God. Yeah, I, yeah, no, not me. There's no way. And what did God do? God spoke back to them. And there was this dialogue that was going on. And, you know, um, here's what I love about that. When you, is, is it, he sees us, right? And he sees what we don't. Not just about ourselves, but about the situation that surrounds our life. And when you begin to look at this out of Hebrews chapter 11, you know, we're talking about these people of faith. Uh, you know, uh, Abraham and Enoch and those that have gone on before. And then he gets down to verse 32 and he says, do I need to give you some more examples of this when he's writing the letter? And he says, really, I don't even have enough time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, all the prophets. See, all of them and, the fa- and their faith. And with that faith, what they did is they defended kingdoms. They did what was right, and God helped them in the ways that He promised. So when you think about it, all of them, including Gideon, Barak, Sansom, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, all of these God told them what He wanted them to do. And they responded. And some of them even questioning as they went, but they responded. And because they responded, God was able to do what He wanted to do. And then I get to thinking, you know, I don't think that, I think that what uh, the Lord spoke to Apostle Paul is not new. I think it was spoken to these men of old, where it is, my grace is sufficient. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And so like Paul and these others, once they got a hold of that, he said, it, once I heard it, it was almost like when with these different men, Jeremiah and Gideon and Moses, it's once they heard that God's going, look, I'm going to be there, and Joshua going in, hey, don't be discouraged, I'm going to be there every step of the way. Once they heard that, they quit focusing on the handicap, which was them. And they began to appreciate the gift, which was God with me, enabling me to do what He wants me to do. Now there's, they're not looking at limitations because they're looking at who has called them. And so here Jonah... Knowing all that he knew about God, his mercy, kindness, compassion, his rich love and forgiveness, Jonah didn't even try to argue with God. He just, like Snagglepuss, he just took off the other direction. 
Not a word, not a conversation, not a question. And I think, you know, we read through the stories of Scripture and we think, how naive can Jonah be? I mean, Psalms was already written. So Psalms 139, he would have known, not just from what David wrote, but from a lot of other teachings, a a lot of other writings. You can't, wherever you are, he is. You can't be anywhere where he doesn't see you. So why did he think he could run from God's influence? And so, you know, when I think about this and I'm thinking, okay, how can we apply this? How does this get into our life? Uh, You know, he's thinking that he can outrun and get away from the influence of God. And I think people try to run away from God for a variety of reasons and in a lot of ways. Just like Jonah, geographically, they, they go to somewhere else. They have these excuses like, I'm too busy, I can't do that, I don't know that. Maybe distance himself from God's accountability to him and his word. They want to do their own thing. Maybe they want to escape some kind of correction or judgment. But we understand that there is, there's no escaping God. Uh, If you think about it in your own life, uh, think about the time when you decided that you were going to go in the opposite direction that God wanted you to. The Lord is wanting you to do something, and you, you are not. You're doing something else. So here's where the story becomes real in our life. Here's how we can relate with Jonah. Because Jonah's, you know, a lot of what Jonah had could be very justified for him. It could be very justified for him that he did not want to go because they deserved it. And so, the same way for us, sometimes God is wanting us to do something in our minds and through our experiences, and we think, yeah, no, and we just go the other way. This is where the story becomes really real to us. But the thing that I, 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 get, I, I go over and over with is we think that we can kind of escape and get away from it, God wanting one thing and we're doing another thing, but how did it go for Jonah? Matter of fact, back up and just take a lot of characters to the Bible. How did it go when they said, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that? How's, how's it gone in your own life? Because we've all been in these scenarios where God wanted something out of our life and we wanted something else. How did that go? And I can tell you right now that God's no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I know in my own personal life when God has said, this is what I want you to do, and I'm going, yeah, no, I'm not really going to do that. I already know that that doesn't go so well, right? Think about your life. How many times have God said, this is what I want you to do, and you say no, and what did God use to get your attention? And like many of us, you know, the challenge that, you know, figure a change in geography or circumstances that, you know, we can kind of in some way we can, the Lord's voice won't be so present. The pressure or conviction or God's hand on our life won't be so sure if we kind of try to escape it in our minds. But here's the deal. Jonah's response to God was to run from his command. He was defiant. God's response to Jonah, he sent a storm. You can process this in a lot of different ways, but I got to thinking, well, why didn't God just choose someone else? I mean, he could have. I mean, 
He could have chosen through a, a few of the contemporaries, and I'm sure there were more. Who was it that said, uh, I'm not anything but a sheep herder? Uh, the, Amos. Hey, I'm nothing but just, uh, I pick fruit and I'm a, I'm a goat herder, but, but the word of the Lord came to me. So God could have just taken anybody, right? But he didn't. He was determined to use Jonah. And, you know, for us in our life, there are just, there are sometimes, there are things that God just wants you to do. Not anyone else. He wants you to do it. And usually it's not so much about the task, specifically, but it's about us. It's about you. God is wanting you to do something because He knows in your experience of that, He'll be able to deal with possibly misunderstanding of who you are, who He is, or what He's really, the work that He's really trying to do in your life. There are so many things that God is wanting us to do, and when we refuse to do it, we don't, we don't get the opportunity for God really to work in our life the way that He wants to work, at least not initially. I have some friends, and I know that they, it seems to me like they're Israel, and they're just circling the mountain. And I know that God has one intention for them, to come face to face with Him so He can help them in whatever this is in their life that He wants to confront in their life, to help them, to reveal to them who He is, who they are. Maybe, maybe just a lot of wrong in your life. Maybe it's some misconceptions. Maybe it's just skewed a little bit. Maybe it's some right about your life. So God was not determined to use anyone else but Jonah. So when Jonah was determined not to go, God was determined to nudge him. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, here we go, Jonah. So apparently, now in our lives, sometimes it's not a storm. Sometimes it's just conviction. Sometimes it's just no lack of peace. But for Jonah, it was like, yeah, it was none of that. Jonah, Jonah needed a storm. Jonah needed some real adversity, some kind of, some kind of in your face type of thing. And so God brought it. Now let me just kind of close up with this thought. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, uh, I, I don't know how to enunciate this right, but rah is in the Hebrew that means breath, and it means wind. And so I think about this. God is just on that sea. And it caused this great storm. Now I'm thinking about this. So we're only four verses into Jonah. And I think if these four verses were a movie trailer, <laughs> I'd buy the ticket. I got to see what this is. This is going to be a great movie. Right? I'm there. 
I don't even know about the fish yet, but this is a great story. I got to know what goes on. And you know, sometimes I think when we are reading, what we need to really do is we really need to sometimes, you know, we read the book of Jonah and as soon as we start at chapter one, verse one, we already know the story, but what we need to do is we just need to slow down. We need to drop back. We need to take it a step at a time and kind of drop into the, kind of drop into the scene because these guys were getting it in real time. They were, it's like a play-by-play. And so we look at it, and we look at it in, a, in, a, in, a, in the broad sense. But if we can back up, we can understand, we can relate with Jonah. And at the same time as we read the story, we can relate with God and what God did in Jonah's life and through the story, not just for Jonah, but the sailors in Nineveh. So see, the story becomes more relatable And through that, I think that we can begin to ask ourselves some questions. Because I can tell you right now, when God begins to ask Jonah questions, God is not looking for information from Jonah. Because God is omniscient. He already knows what's going on. And so when God's asking us questions, He's just trying to get us to, to look inside and to begin to divulge what is really in our heart. It could be fears and apprehensions. It could be a lot of things. But just got to get it out. So God then can work in our life and say, okay, yeah, I see that, but that's not true. So the story is such a good story. And we, we don't want to really miss what's going on. So we, Jonah runs from the command of God to go preach to Nineveh. He gets on, goes, tries to go 2,500 miles away. So God responds to Jonah with the wind. And the thing is, is once Jonah gets awakened, he knows it's God. See, here's something about our life as well. When we're not doing what God is wanting us to do, and stuff starts happening, <laughs> it's not your mom's fault. It's not your dad's fault. It's not your boss's fault. It's God. And you know it's God getting your attention. And look at every time God is trying to get our attention, it's not for anything but for our good. Even in our reluctance. And in Jonah's case, we see even in his defiance. I mean, I can tell you right now, if I'm God, I'm going, yeah, knock him over. Let me just grab someone else. That is not who God is. And I think that's something that we, for me anyway, it's something that I just keep grabbing out of the story. I like how the ESV uh, renders this. Verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled. He hurled. Not throw up, but I think throw. A great wind. God did this. He threw a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. Even though Jonah was ignoring God's command, God was not ignoring Jonah. So here's the truth for us. You can be running the other way. You can be defiant. You can think that you got your ears plugged. 
But it doesn't matter because God doesn't speak into your ears. He speaks into your heart. So you, you need to know that God never ignores us. And hopefully we learn from the story of Jonah, even if it takes a little while and it takes some steps and it, takes some, and it, it may take a storm, God is wanting to work a good work in our life for His purposes, for His plan. You know, I got to thinking with our world today and just how chaotic it's seeming to get and so uncertain. In the very middle of it, God is building His church. That's us. He is, in the midst of all the crazy, there is a progressive, positive movement of the kingdom of God in the world. And that is so good to know. Amen?